Now, I always start my illustrations off usually with a question for the, the children here. So I asked my kids this morning to see if I was kind of on the right track, and I was. So uh, how, kids in here, first of all, how many of y'all have ever gone shopping with your parents to Sam's or like a Costco? Sam's, one of the big, okay, a few of you here, okay. What do you like about going to those places, Sam's? What do you like about going there? Hmm? Ah, getting the samples. Yes. When I was in college, that was dinner, baby. Go to Sam's. Yes, there's my, my kids call them the tri-tables. The tri-tables. I don't know. They, they want to go to the tri-tables where they can try different foods. And that is absolutely their favorite part about going to Sam's. It isn't the shopping experience. It was the, it's the, the tables, the samples. And so I was thinking about that this morning, about these samples. Now, why do they want you, why do they want to give you these samples? Kids, why? Why are they doing that? What's the purpose? What's the aim? They want you to buy that food. So if you're tasting really good chicken fingers, they want you to buy those chicken fingers. So that when your mom's got the cart and she rolls around the corner and she wants to buy the, the Save-O-Lot Cheapo brand, you say, no, Mom, we got to have this brand that we just tasted, right? And, and so it's to get you to, to have a taste of something to, to want you to believe that that's the best product you can get and therefore to, to get that and to go for it and to aim for that product. So I'm thinking here, as far as drawing this illustration into our passage today, which I'll tell you in a second, is that as we look at this early part of Jesus' ministry and his Galilean ministry in particular, we see him continuing to do miraculous signs and wonders, healings, the casting out of demons, his miracles over nature, just like the miraculous catch of fish. And I think what Jesus is giving us here, as he has announced that the kingdom has arrived, or the, in him, the kingdom has come, He's giving us a foretaste of what it's going to be like when the kingdom is fully consummated at the end of the age in Revelation 24 like we read of. He's giving us a foretaste so we can taste what it is that that he has the power to do and accomplish and and desire it even more. Jesus has the power over over sickness and over all the spiritual realm and and over all of nature. And as those who are united to him by faith come into being part of the body of Christ... This victory that he has over these things is our victory too. And so, as we continue to walk through the life of Christ in our series called Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ this morning, I'm actually going to have us turn to two passages. So, I want you, first of all, to turn to Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. That's going to be our primary passage this morning. So, put your finger there. Find Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Put your finger there. And then turn to Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. First, Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. That's going to be our primary passage today. We're going to read that one second. First, we're going to read Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. Now, the reason being is that we're walking through the life of Christ in a chronological fashion in this series called Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ. Mark tends to be more chronological with his gospel than the other writers. What we're looking at today is the immediate incident that occurs after what we read last week where Jesus expels the demon out of the man in the synagogue in Capernaum. And so this is what happens next. And Mark tells us that Matthew, for purposes that he has and the way he's communicating the gospel, moves this story to after the Sermon on the Mount. And I've already told you how chronological order wasn't that important 
to them back then as it is to us today. So first we're going to start Mark chapter 1, verse 29. So if you would please stand as we read both of these passages. Remain standing as we read both of them as well. We stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 1, verse 29. Remember, this is Mark's picking this up immediately after Jesus' confrontation with the demon-possessed man in Capernaum. Verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now flip over to Matthew chapter 8. I wanted to read that first one to give us the the context chronologically of what's going on. Now we're going to read Matthew chapter 8. And this is going to be our main focus for today. Matthew chapter 8 verse 14. The word of God says the following. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever... He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to this text this morning, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful to it. Lord, you, through your Spirit, inspired Matthew and Mark to write these words. And you inspired Matthew to refer back to Isaiah 53 as he observed what Jesus was doing in Capernaum, healing people, healing Peter's mother-in-law, casting out demons. So God, I pray that you'd help us see the connection as well. And Father, more than that, I pray that you would change us with your word. Help us to put our full hope and faith in your word because apart from your spirit, we're incapable of doing that because in and of ourselves, Lord, we're just given to unbelief. So God, give us a spirit of belief this morning. Grant me the grace to speak the words rightly. Grant all of us the grace to hear the words rightly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. As we have been seeing in this first part of Jesus' ministry in Galilee, we've seen that he has proclaimed that he himself is the Messiah. He, he did that when he preached the messianic mission of Isaiah 61. Remember in Luke chapter 4, we saw him preaching that this was his mission. Uh, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus had announced that this was his mission. He said that this has come to its fulfillment in their very hearing. We have seen Jesus announce that he is the long-awaited king of Israel from the line of David when he went around preaching as he did in Mark chapter 1 verse 15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. 
And we have seen him demonstrate that, that not only is he the Messiah and the King, but that he's more than that. He is, he is divine. He is God in the flesh. He's demonstrated his divinity over illnesses. He demonstrated his divine authority over the illness that the royal official from Capernaum's son had. You remember the royal official from Capernaum? His son was ill at the point of death, and Jesus, from 20 miles away, commands the boy to be made well. He demonstrated his divine authority over nature as he commanded fish to be in a specific place in the Sea of Galilee. And and, and he gave a command to the disciples to to cast their nets and to to draw in this great catch of fish. And he did all that to illustrate to his disciples what, what it meant to follow him. He demonstrated his divine authority over the spirit world when he commanded the demon in the synagogue of Capernaum to be silent and leave the man that it inhabited. And we saw that last week. So the same pattern of demonstrating the divine power and authority and sovereignty of Jesus continues in today's passages, as I've already said. Now, I'm going to focus on the Matthew passage because I believe that it zeroes in a little bit more on Jesus' authority and grounds that authority on what Jesus was to eventually accomplish on the cross. So let's focus on that passage this morning. So here it is. Jesus is on the scene. He's announcing the kingdom of God is at hand. He's preaching the gospel. He's demonstrating his messianic kingship. He's demonstrating his divinity. And Matthew wants us to see in his gospel narrative, the first point today is that King Jesus brought full and final victory over Satan. King Jesus brought full and final victory over Satan. Jesus continues to demonstrate that he is sovereign even over the powers and forces of darkness. They are no match for him as he goes from town to town to preach. So we read in verse 16 that that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word. With a word. He cast out the spirits. As I said last week, it wasn't with some incantation or some appeal to a higher power. He is the highest power and he simply speaks and the demons are gone. He simply spoke and they departed. Jesus has authority over demons and even over Satan. As God in the flesh, Jesus is the same God from Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2. You remember that. that Satan is on a leash. He had to come and make a request of God to do anything to Job. Satan is on a leash and God has the power to yank it back at any time he wishes. He's not like, like my dog. When my dog is on a leash, my dog walks me. Right, And I get yanked around wherever the dog wishes to go. And I hope that somehow I can pull back this this 70-pound Labrador from going wherever it wants to go. Don't have that view of Satan. Satan is on a leash that God has designed. And Satan has no power to yank God around. Jesus is absolutely authoritative over the spiritual forces of darkness. Satan and demons are real, but they are not all-powerful. They are creatures. And the creator, King Jesus, rules over them as well. So what is this victory? I'm talking about Jesus bringing a full and final victory today. The the title of the message is the sweeping victory of King Jesus. So what is this victory then that Jesus won over Satan? If he rules already, what's going on here as he he defeats Satan in the wilderness and the temptations, as he battles these demons and as he goes through from town to town preaching? why, Why is he doing this if he rules already? My friends, Jesus is doing this for us. As the Son, the second person in the Godhead, he became flesh and he walked in the shoes of men. But unlike other men, he never sinned so that he could thwart all of Satan's best temptations. In every respect, it says, he is, the scriptures say, he was tempted as we are, yet what? Without sin. And thus, he diffused, 
He disabled and he defeated Satan's power over all who are united to him by faith. He did it for us. Colossians 2 verse 12 and following says, Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now let me stop right there. This is Jesus. We're united to him by faith. And so uh, his burial becomes our burial. His baptism becomes our baptism. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. This is the, 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 our union with Christ. And this is the atonement. God, God canceled our debt that stood against us, setting it aside, nailing it to the cross. And then in verse 15 it says this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Jesus didn't have to come to the earth to figure out some way to defeat Satan. He already had absolute sovereign power over Satan and the demons. He came to earth to battle Satan on our behalf because we fail in every single one of those battles. I heard a horrible sermon once. Well, maybe I preached it. I don't know. No. I heard a horrible sermon once where someone said, God has no power over the earth and over Satan unless we invite God to come and exercise that power through us. I can't think of a more horrible thing to say about God than that. To say that God is handcuffed. Satan is not some animal that's out of control running around. He is still on God's leash just as he was in Job chapter 1 and chapter 2. We're the ones that don't have any control over the spirit world and over Satan. So Jesus comes to unite us to him and cancel our debt and then disarm the rulers and authorities and putting them to open shame and triumphing over them. So we see in this first part of Jesus' ministry here in Galilee the continuing demonstration of his divine authority over Satan and the demonic world. And we could talk more about that if we wanted to, but, but I want to keep moving on here. We saw during Jesus' temptations, and we'll continue to see as we go through the Gospels, him defeating Satan and Satan's minions. But another clear theme in these early narratives is the authority of Jesus over physical ailments. So the second thing I want us to see this morning is that King Jesus brought full and final victory over sickness. Jesus brought full and final victory over sickness. Now first I want you to notice what I talked about last week. Namely, that the gospel writers knew the difference between physical illness and and spiritual, I mean, demonic possession. Verse 16, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. Mark knew and Matthew knew, Matthew's who wrote that. But, But the gospel writers, all of them knew there was a difference between demonic possession and physical illness. Don't let anyone tell you that, that the gospel writers were just these ignorant folks that had no idea about, about, about illnesses and they just attributed everything to demonic possession. That's not true. If you read the gospels, you'll see that that's not true. Two different things were happening here. There was the casting out of demons and there was the healing of those who were sick. Just as Jesus rules over the satanic forces, so too Jesus is ruler over physical illnesses. Just as there was no demonic foe too powerful for him to defeat, likewise there was no illness too difficult for him to heal. He could and did heal all sorts of illnesses, from children who were near death to people born blind to simple fevers like we see here. Verse 14, and when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand 
And the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. Now, I'm not sure what Peter thought about that healing, but Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. I was joking with Peter this morning. Our Peter's mother-in-law is here. I mean, how more appropriate could that be? If that doesn't shout divine sovereignty, I don't know what does. Now, I'm joking, of course. I'm sure Peter was thrilled that his mother-in-law was healed, just as this Peter would be, right? Amen. All right. He simply touched her, and she was healed. He touched her hand. Luke, also, Luke tells us that he rebuked the fever. But, I, but the way Matthew and Mark describe it is that he did this with gentleness and care. He did rebuke the fever, but he takes her by the hand, lifts her up so that she'll be better. He touches her hand, and, and by one word, the fever is gone, and she began to serve them. Jesus, again, is demonstrating that there's nothing too hard for him. And then that afternoon before sundown, he healed, as Matthew puts it, all who were sick. This gives us the indication that a massive amount of people were being healed. Previously, up to this point, the miracles have been one here, one there, a healing here, a healing there. But now we see a wholesale outbreak of healing. Masses of people being healed. If the kingdom of God was breaking in one healing at a time, like small cracks through a dam, now a full bursting forth of messianic power to heal is flowing. So much so that Mark tells us the whole city was gathered at the door. And Luke tells us in his parallel account, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. John MacArthur is of the opinion that Jesus practically eradicated illness from Palestine during his ministry. So vast was the healing power that he put on display. Now I think that may be a bit of an overstatement. But no doubt the display of the power of Jesus over sickness was no small display. This was not done in a corner, as Paul would later testify to. No disease and no disorder could withstand Jesus' healing power. As I was having a conversation this morning with someone in here, unlike our modern medicines, which, which um, you know, viruses and bacteria learn to build up resistance against, the, the viruses and bacteria that were causing these illnesses couldn't stand up against, they couldn't resist the remedy of the work of the Son of God as he spoke and these illnesses were gone. Divine authority, divine power, divine rule over Satan and over sickness. And that victory over Satan and over sickness was won by Jesus for us. Yes, united to Christ, we too have experienced full and final victory over Satan. United to Christ, we too have experienced full and final victory over sickness. Wait a second, you say. Steve, are you, getting, are you becoming one of those preachers? Right? Are you saying this morning that, that we shouldn't be sick and that healing is guaranteed? Well... First of all, let me say that yes, I do believe healing is guaranteed. In Christ, the victory has been won. And all who are united to him by faith, trusting in him as Lord and Savior, have victory over Satan and sickness. Does that mean we can expect to never be sick? No. We never have to worry about spiritual warfare anymore? No. So long as we walk this earth in the flesh, we still battle sickness. We still battle Satan. But know, my friends, that the foes that we are battling against have been defeated. They have been defeated defeated. As I said last week, Satan is speaking from underneath Jesus' heel. King Jesus brought full and final victory over Satan. He brought full and final victory over sickness because of the third point. 
King Jesus brought full and final victory over sin. To help us see this, Matthew takes us to the Old Testament. As he often does. Verse 17 says, this was to fulfill what was spoken. That's Matthew's formula that he keeps repeating all throughout his gospel. uh, Over and over again to show us that the Old Testament points to and finds its fulfillment in Jesus. What Matthew sees here in Jesus is that the great grand narrative of Scripture is finding its climax, its full sense, its fulfillment in the work of Jesus Christ. All that was written before is now finding its full sense in Jesus. Uh, We watched a movie this weekend. um, In this movie that I watched with the kids... And there's a, there's a seemingly minor character early on in the movie, or he's kind of helpful to the backstory, but you forget about the character. By the time you get to the end of the story, you've forgotten about this character. All of a sudden, he reappears, and he's a major part of the story. And, and so uh, you, it makes sense now, once you see the end of the story, and you see what this character is doing, it makes sense why he was in the story earlier. And so, too, I think here that Matthew continually wants us to see that the earlier details in the story now find their full sense in Jesus. They now have their meaning in the work and in the person of Jesus Christ. But it's very interesting that Matthew chose here to quote Isaiah 53. Verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And what he's quoting here is Isaiah 53, 4. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now, clearly, Matthew is applying this text to the physical deliverance of the people from physical illness. But if you'll remember, we just read this verse, this passage responsively. If you'll remember from our responsive reading of Isaiah 53, you'll certainly see that the messianic passage about the suffering servant that we read is speaking of a spiritual deliverance from sin, from transgression, from iniquity. So by applying Isaiah 53... Verse 4, to physical healing, I think we have to ask ourselves, is Matthew misquoting Isaiah? Is he applying Isaiah incorrectly here? When we look at the way this verse uh, that Matthew quotes reads in our Bibles from Isaiah 53, 4, okay, we read earlier, if you look in your ESV or whatever version you have, Isaiah 53, 4, this is what it reads. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now Matthew... When he quotes this verse here, he's not following the common Greek translation of the Old Testament of his day, which was called the Septuagint. He's not following that. Most likely, he is providing us with his own translation of Isaiah. When he says, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now, Matthew was a smart guy. He was a tax collector. He was definitely literate. And uh, he by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, decides to go back to Isaiah and give us his own translation of Isaiah 53, verse 4. The question is, is this a bad translation of Isaiah 53, 4? He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. I say that this is not a bad translation. First of all, the Hebrew word for griefs, as we have it in the ESV, that Matthew translates as illnesses, does also mean illnesses, sicknesses, wounds, or injuries. So it does mean that. Also, the Hebrew word for sorrows that we have in the ESV that Matthew translates as griefs does also mean griefs. It also means pain and suffering. So Matthew is not misquoting this verse. It is a proper translation. But the question remains, is he misapplying it 
since he's applying it to physical healing and physical illness instead of spiritual healing of sin that Isaiah clearly teaches in Isaiah 53. Well, no, he's not misapplying it. He's not misquoting Isaiah. We can have confidence that Matthew is writing exactly what the Spirit inspired him to write and that Matthew sees the connection that we need to see between sin and sickness. We need to understand that Matthew has a holistic understanding of the nature of sin. And he has a holistic understanding of what Jesus was accomplishing. What I mean is this, that Matthew understands, as should we, that sickness and sin are tied together. Matthew goes to the great suffering servant passage, which he knows is not primarily about the overcoming of physical sicknesses. We know he knows that because he would later quote Jesus in in Matthew 20, 28. Jesus uses Isaiah 53. He alludes to Isaiah 53 when he says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus takes the suffering servant passages and applies it to the atonement as a ransom for many. So Matthew knows that from the very lips of Jesus that the main messianic truth being described in Isaiah 53 is the atoning work of Christ for sin. But Matthew also knows, as we should know, that the reason that there is sickness in this world is because of sin. Sin is the cancer. All the other side effects of sin, like sickness and death, are simply that. They're side effects. So if someone comes to the doctor and says, Doctor, I've got, I've got nausea in my stomach. And they do a, a body scan and they realize, no, you got a bigger problem than that. You have cancer in your heart. It's not the nausea in your stomach that's the problem. It's the cancer in your heart. But see, what Matthew knows and what we should know is that all these problems we have in our world, the destruction, the disease, illnesses, death, all of that is the side effects or the symptoms of a bigger problem, which is sin. And Matthew knows that. And so he takes us to Isaiah 53. Essentially, he takes us to the cross. Now, please know that, that um, uh, I do not mean here to say that all of our sickness is a direct result of specific sin. The Bible does teach that, though. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 11, verses 29 through 30. Okay, you can go there if you want to. But not all sin, most sin, I would say, is not directly the result of specific sins. However, we must see that sickness as well as death have encroached into our world and are part of our fallen human condition because of sin. The moment sin came into the world, sickness and death came into the world as well. So Matthew, by referring his readers to Isaiah 53, 4, Matthew is saying that King Jesus brought the full and final victory over sickness because he brought the full and final victory over sin. He brought the full and final victory over Sickness because he has brought the full and final victory over sin. The atoning work of Jesus on the cross deals a final blow to sin. Hebrews 9, 28 says that Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. So that's the atoning work of Christ on the cross dealing a final blow to sin. And it deals a final blow to all the effects of sin, all the side effects of sin. This does not mean that believers will not struggle with physical illness. We will, we do. But sickness has been defeated and we eagerly await for that day when it's fully realized. When we fully have bodies that will never get sick again. Continuing with Hebrews 9.28. It says he will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. The atonement does secure our physical healing. But not now. Not yet. 
Romans 8.22, for we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our what? Our bodies. So we wait eagerly. Now those who are out there today who say the work of Christ on the cross guarantees our physical health now... Well, they've misunderstood the nature of the already not yet reality of those who are united to Christ. What we have now is simply a foretaste. That's why I gave you the illustration. It's a foretaste. Think about it. We are already set free from the power of sin, but we have not yet ceased to sin. One day we will. We have already been set free from the power of Satan, but we have not yet ceased to be at war with the spiritual forces of darkness. One day we will. We have already been set free from the power of sickness. But we have not yet ceased to battle infirmities in these broken bodies of ours. One day we will. We are already given eternal life, freed from the power of death. But we have not yet ceased to have bodies that will die. One day we will. Revelation 21, 4 is that day. Let me read it again. Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4, here it is. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Amen. Amen. Do we see the connection that Matthew sees? I think we need to see the connection between physical illness and sin. When we are sick, friends, it should remind us of our need for salvation, not just physical healing. Let your illnesses become moments to praise God. When you're sitting there with the sniffles, don't just be saying, oh man, I need some Afrin. Say, oh man, I'm so glad that I've been redeemed from this body. Let your physical illnesses, let your cancer bring glory to God. Because you know what? If you're in Christ, that cancer has no power over you. It may kill your body, but that's all it can do. You're going to get a new body. It'll just usher you into heaven quicker. Do we see the connection that Matthew sees? 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The cancer, the wound that we mainly need to be healed of is sin. Physical illnesses are just the side effects of that cancer. Physical illnesses are just the nausea that comes from the cancer. But once the cancer is dealt with, the side effects will eventually vanish too. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Let me read that again. Beloved, we are God's children when? Now. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Already, not yet. So we don't need to be afraid to, to see that physical healing is involved in the atonement. But we need to understand that it is a physical healing that is not yet fully 
realized. I think a lot of people in our camp are afraid to attach physical healing to the atonement because of the shysters out there that want to say, well, that Jesus died on the cross, therefore you should never get sick again. Well, that's foolish. They haven't read the whole counsel of God. We don't need to be afraid, though, to make the connection that Matthew makes. That our sin and our sickness are closely tied together. In regards to the now, though, the right now as we live on this earth, I also think we need to understand that we serve King Jesus who is mighty to save and mighty to heal. And he can heal if he sees fit, but he can also deny healing if he sees fit. He is sovereign. So we need to practice scripture more carefully. My friends, I can count on one hand, I can count on half a hand. How many times James 5, verse 14, has been exercised in Harbin's Community Baptist Church? James 5, 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Six years, two times. I have a feeling I've been sick more than that. Because they were scared to deal with the healing stuff. Jesus can heal. He can choose not to heal. We are to pray for healing. We are to know that the, the same Jesus who lifted up Peter's mother-in-law and immediately the fever left him is the Jesus we serve. But he's also the Jesus we submit to. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. James, like Matthew, saw ultimate healing in the forgiveness of sins. Not in physical restoration. Ultimately, the forgiveness of sins is what needs to be happening. So here we are in our text today. When Matthew sees King Jesus exercising authority over Satan and over sickness, Matthew sees King Jesus also as the suffering servant and projects forward to Jesus' atonement for sin. In other words, Matthew sees the cross. Isaiah 53 is all about the cross. And my last point is simply this. King Jesus bought full and final victory on the cross. It is by his shed blood on the cross for sinners that our Lord purchased us, saved us, and thereby sets us free from the power of Satan, the devastation of sickness, and the sting of death. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases is what Matthew says. Now some people who only see physical healing as being Matthew's intent here will say that the only way Matthew means that Jesus took or bore our illnesses and diseases was that Jesus identified with weak sinners and felt compassion and sympathy toward us. Well, friends, it's true that Jesus identifies with sinners and has compassion for our plight. I believe the side effects of sin, illnesses, disease, destruction, etc., I believe these grieve Jesus greatly. I think he truly has compassion. His heart is broken when he looks at our broken world. You remember he wept outside of Lazarus' tomb. Jesus knew that death and sickness were ugly intruders into God's creative order. So Jesus, yes, did come to sympathize with us, but he came to do much more than that. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He didn't just, he didn't just come to sympathize with us. He didn't just come to sympathize with the side effects of the nausea. He came to deal with the cancer of sin. Hebrews 2.17, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. What? To make propitiation for the sins of his people. He came to be like us in every respect, yet without sin, so that he might deal with sin 
once and for all. So you see, when Matthew quotes Isaiah 53, 4, he knows that. And he's not simply saying that Jesus took and bore our illnesses by having compassion on us. He means literally that Jesus took and bore them by taking and bearing the cause of them on the cross. Namely, he came to deal with our sin. Jesus came to take and bear sin once for all. It says here, he took our illnesses. That word took. Okay, so he, he, it means more than just uh, take away. It literally means to take upon, take upon himself. You know, when, when I talk to children about the gospel, a lot of times kids will say, I'll ask, what, what did Jesus do for us? And they'll say, oh, he took away all our sins. And that's a great response. But I want to know what they mean by took away. Because I think what kids think is like it's an eraser, a board, and he just erased the sins, or he removed them from us. When it says he took them, or took our illnesses, it's not saying he just took them away. It says he took them upon. He took them upon himself. So this word take doesn't just mean to remove. It means to put it on something else, namely himself. He bore our diseases. Again here, um, he's not just, Matthew's not just talking about physical disease and the eradication of, of physical diseases. He's talking about the eradication of a spiritual disease, sin. How? By burying them on the cross. The word means to lift, to raise, or to carry. So when we take these two words together, took and bore, what we see here is that Jesus lifted up, raised up the burden of sin off of us, put it on himself, carried it then, and went to the cross with it upon himself. This is the beauty of what happened at the cross. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Hebrews 9.26 He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This morning, if you're here this morning, you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I beg you, I implore you to call upon his name and be saved. The atonement is for you if you are united to him by faith. His suffering for sin becomes your suffering for sin. His death becomes your death. His resurrection becomes your resurrection. Romans 6, 4. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If you're coming and you're interested in Jesus solely to fix your physical illness, but nothing else, you are asking the doctor to deal with the nausea instead of the cancer. There are thousands of side effects of the cancer. Financial anxiety, relationship stress, fears, worries, addictions, and on and on and on. All of these are symptoms of the sin. The cross deals with the cancer. Deal with the sin and know that in dealing with the sin, the Symptoms will be dealt with as well in time. Jesus is a sovereign king who has brought about full and final victory over Satan. He is a sovereign king who has brought about full and final victory over sickness. This is because he is a sovereign king who has brought about full and final victory over sin. And he dealt with that sin when he bought our salvation in a full and final victory on the cross by his blood. So I beg you this morning that you consider the glory of who Jesus is as we continue to walk through the life of Jesus and look at his divine power. He wasn't coming to show off. He came to redeem lost sinners and put their faith in him. Come to the cross. Experience healing at the cross. 
I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we conclude this morning with a word of prayer. Heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. I know, I just know, there are some in this room who have come to Jesus for a thousand different things. You've come to church, you've come to religion, you've come to Christianity, you've come to Harbin's, you've come to Jesus, whatever it might be. Because you're thinking that by doing that, all these symptoms will be dealt with in your life. But you've never come to him to deal with the cancer. So my prayer is that you'll come to the great physician this morning and let him heal you of the greatest thing you need to be healed of, your sin. Just as we sang earlier, we have been healed. Can you sing that this morning? We have been healed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask, Lord, that you would move in this place this morning as we close singing about the power of the cross. I pray that you'd help us all to see this morning that, that in the atonement, in the work that Jesus did on the cross, that there is physical healing. But God, if we're going after physical healing in this world, then we're going about it in the wrong order. We need to understand that you came to deal with sin and you've set us free from sin and that these bodies that we have will one day be redeemed. But until then, we continue to have to battle. We battle Satan and, and, and demons. We battle spiritual warfare. We, we battle with sicknesses and illnesses, all the while knowing that Jesus is sovereign to give us the strength to overcome all these things. He's sovereign to heal if he sees fit. And we continue to struggle with our sin, knowing that, it is, that we are dead to sin, yet sin still squirming around. is not dead to us sometimes. And we need to kill it. So we, we continue to walk through this life battling. And Father, I praise you and thank you, Lord, that we're not doing this alone. That greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. The power of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit resides within every believer. Giving us victory. Bringing us to Christ. Causing us to persevere. We praise you and thank you for that. So now this morning as we close with the song, Father, we pray that you'd be glorified and honored. We pray that there be anyone here who does not know the power of the cross, that they would understand and believe and turn to Christ this morning, turn from their sin and turn to the only one who can heal them of their sin. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.